Chapter 11 EU Election A Second Brexit Referendum Do We Really Need a Third? By Joseph Finn and Ranjit Brar Glasgow and London, June 2019 Britain's Labour-Tory two-party political monopoly is cracking under the pressure of Brexit. The polling stations for the 23rd of May 2019 European Union election had barely closed, and the first results were not yet announced, when Theresa May succumbed to the overwhelming pressure and announced that she would resign as Prime Minister, finally stepping down on the 7th of June. For some time now, Mrs May has been labelled a zombie Prime Minister, holding office but not power. Yet in every meaningful sense she is a typical and representative Tory, and it is unlikely that her successor will fare much better, as he or she too struggles to formulate a strategy to deal with the poison chalice that is Brexit. In an uncharacteristically teary speech delivered outside 10 Downing Street, tears of personal defeat and frustrated ambition that moved few, even among her supporters, she admitted to the watching world that her time was up. Brexit Iceberg Sinks May Earlier in the week, May had declared her intent in the Commons to hold a fourth meaningful vote on her infamous Brexit deal, slightly amended but in substance unchanged. Her resignation was the result of the slow dawn of realisation that the deal was a dead duck, a conclusion that much of the world had reached after her historic defeat over meaningful vote number one back in January. For months, May had appeared to be blind to this obvious fact. Stubbornly, she had hung on, oblivious to the impasse. Remainers allege that May was a hardline Brexiter, and that she therefore made no effort to control the pro-Brexit wing of her party. But her attempt to reach rapprochement with the Labour Party, which is 99% pro-Remain, in an attempt to snub the referendum and force her Brexit in name only, Brino deal through, is more indicative of her true position. Following the breakdown in talks with the Labour leadership and the tepid response to her announcement of a fourth vote in Parliament, the Conservative Party was finally galvanised into ousting their discredited leader. In her final days, bereft of support, May became a recluse, hiding in number 10 and refusing even to see members of her cabinet. In the words of the thick of it spin doctor Malcolm Tucker, this is the ending of a chapter of a very thin book that nobody enjoyed reading. The election that should not have been. Tory and Labour receive a drubbing at the hands of the Brexit party. Bourgeois politics cannot solve the problems of workers. That is abundantly clear. But Brexit, we maintain, will weaken British, US and EU imperialism. That is not equivalent to working class salvation which can only grow from working-class power and policy, not to be confused with Labour Party policy, which is entirely bourgeois. But weakening or breaking the EU will create more favourable conditions for the struggle, and for this reason we advocated a vote for leave in the 2016 referendum. For the same reason, we considered this EU election, held after the 29th of March 2019 deadline for Britain's withdrawal from the EU, to be in essence a second referendum a chance for workers to demand the fulfilment of Brexit. For all the criticisms of Brexit party leader Nigel Farage, some valid, many less so, he himself is evidently no more far-right racist or fascist, even if the odd follower is, than many members of the Conservative and Labour parties. What cannot be denied 
is that he has been a most consistent voice for Brexit. From a standing start, and campaigning entirely on the single issue of leaving the European Union on World Trade Organisation WTO terms, i.e. for a no-deal Brexit, in which Britain actually leaves the EU common market and political framework in accordance with the result of the 2016 referendum, his party scored a resounding success that has shaken the complacency of Britain's two-party political system. Juxtapose this with the Brexit Party's Remain counterpart, Change UK. The breakaway parliamentary group had its logo rejected by the Electoral Commission and changed its name twice in quick succession. This is a group with no substance, no shred of ideology or values, and no platform other than overturning the referendum result. And the one thing its members were supposed to be good at, political presentation, i.e. public relations, proved to be entirely beyond their reach, despite the natural predisposition of much of the media towards their party's line, such as it was. No one will be surprised if the group soon ceases to exist, or is quietly absorbed by the resurgent Lib Dems. Following the Lib Dems' tuition fees betrayal, and its role in forming an austerity government with David Cameron's Tories, the party had lost all credibility amongst its former voters. But now, in an act of political resuscitation, Brexit has breathed new life into its decaying carcass. Having successfully rebranded itself as the unequivocal party of Remain, it has been facilitated in its resurrection by the inability of Corbyn's Labour to take a clear position on Brexit, trying instead to hide behind a message of national unity that united no one. Mr Corbyn, to his credit, has been a lifelong leaver, albeit at a time when no one seemed much interested in either the question of the EU in general or in his opinion in particular. He now finds himself, to his own surprise and others, leading a parliamentary party that is at odds with his view on this, the traditional working-class view. While Labour MPs and members are overwhelmingly Remainers, some five million traditional Labour voters, i.e. from the poorer section of the working class, are in favour of Brexit. Trying to please both sides, Corbyn's Labour has found itself walking down the middle of the road, only to be knocked down from both directions. Such are the contradictions within the Labour Party, a party to which our revisionist and Trotskyist friends continue to assure us will lead Britain to socialism. It was crystal clear in the run-up to the European election that the Conservatives were heading for disaster and were likely to get a kicking from Farage's new Brexit party. This fact had been obvious to anyone paying attention to the opinion polls from the moment the party launched. When the results were announced, the Brexit party claimed 29 of the UK's 72 MEP seats. It did not stand in the occupied six counties of the north of Ireland. It topped the polls in every region it contended, bar London, which remains a haven for Remain, and took a whopping 31.4% of the national vote, on a relatively low turnout of just under 37%, although this is higher than usual for an EU election. In fact, the Brexit party is now the largest party in the entire European Parliament, and its MEPs join a growing anti-EU bloc, elected from countries across the continent. About one-third of the 751 newly elected MEPs are Eurosceptic. Moreover, although President Emmanuel Macron of France has been hailed as the Parliament's new kingmaker in recognition of his Renaissance party's position 
leading the largest bloc in Brussels. In the French election, his party was beaten into second place by the Eurosceptic National Rally, led by Marine Le Pen. The turnout for the election across Europe was just over 50%, the highest in 20 years, signifying not engagement with Europe, but a growing anger at EU-imposed austerity and kleptocracy. The Lib Dems, meanwhile, having clearly flown the flag of Remain, took 20 seats and 20.3% of the vote, pushing Labour into third place with 10 seats and 14.1%. The Green Party, which had also campaigned on a Remain platform, as well as on the issue of climate change, came fourth, taking seven seats and 12.1% of the vote, battering the Tories into a humiliating fifth place, as they clung to just four seats, down from 18, and a derisory 9.1% of the national vote, failing to top the ballot in a single electoral constituency. For any ruling party, and for the British ruling class's preferred party of rule for some two centuries in particular, this was more than a defeat. It was an absolute mauling. Commentators were quick to point out that it was, in fact, the Tory party's worst performance at the ballot box since 1832. In a long list of humiliations, the following were particularly notable. Syed Kamal, leader of the Europe-wide European Conservatives and Reformists group, lost his seat in London. Ashley Fox, leader of the Tory group in the Brussels Parliament, lost his seat in the South West. Prominent right-wing Tory Brexiter and MEP Daniel Hannan, who retained his seat in the South East, said that the delay to Brexit had blighted the Tory campaign. In fact, Brexit threatens to destroy the Conservative Party completely if it is not resolved soon, a fact that is now being openly acknowledged. The future of the Conservative Party could be in doubt unless it manages to deliver Brexit, the leadership hopeful Jeremy Hunt has warned. The Foreign Secretary acknowledged the very existence of the party he hopes to lead could be threatened by the Brexit backlash after the Tories secured just 9% of the vote in England and Wales. This was a quote from the Evening Standard on the 27th of May, 2019. In Scotland, the Scottish National Party dominated, receiving 37.7% of the vote, echoing the region's majority remain vote in the 2016 referendum. Although the Brexit Party did manage to take a seat alongside the Liberals and Tories. Whilst historically it seems incredible, it is nevertheless all too understandable that here Labour, in one of its former heartlands, failed to take a single seat. In Wales, formerly a communist stronghold and a long-time Labour Party bastion, Labour was beaten into third place, behind the Brexit Party and Plaid Cymru. Don't speak too fast, for the wheel's still in spin. This triumph of the new Brexit Party in a national election has sent a strong message to our rulers. British workers, having voted for Brexit, are extremely disillusioned with the failure of Westminster parliamentary democracy to deliver it, and wish to send a clear rebuke to the governing parties, Tory and Labour alike, for their failure to implement the result of the 2016 referendum. But the BBC, The Guardian, and other pillars of Britain's objective and impartial media, still batting heavily for Remain, went into an immediate PR overdrive, even as the election results were being announced. Former Labour spin doctor and Tony Blair ally Alistair Campbell was invited onto the BBC's election programme, 
and the audience was treated to long diatribes from this notorious war criminal about how Labour must now adopt an unequivocally Remain position, and how there must be a second referendum, or is that now a third referendum, during which Labour should campaign for Remain. Campbell went on to say that he had personally voted Lib Dem, for which he was promptly expelled from the Labour Party, and that his interpretation of the election result was that by adding up the votes for Lib Dem, Green, Plaid Cymru, SNP and Change UK, the result was in fact a clear victory for Remain. The BBC was absolutely complicit in pushing this message, as all its coverage since the election has shown. See for example the following, which was accompanied by a pretty bar chart to illustrate the point. Anti-Brexit parties, those in favour of another referendum, collectively took about 40% of the vote, compared with 35% for the Brexit party and UKIP, both in favour of leaving the EU without a deal. Liberal Democrat leader Sir Vince Cable said he was pleasantly surprised by his party's very good result. He added that there was a majority of people in the country who don't want to leave the European Union now. Such a conclusion neatly disregards the overwhelmingly pro-Brexit Tory voters, the Tories' Remain voters having deserted to the Lib Dems and the Greens, and the significant percentage of Labour voters who are also Brexiters. Adding only the Tory vote to the Leave camp in this spurious equation would cause the Leave vote to rise to a 5-6% advantage over Remain in what was clearly regarded by voters and observers alike as a soft referendum. And that is leaving aside the huge numbers of working-class people who stayed away from the polls in disgust or disillusionment, having drawn the inevitable conclusion from the government's failure to deliver Brexit that their votes don't count, and there is therefore no point in engaging with the electoral process, even in protest. Indeed, so widespread has this feeling become that many political commentators are starting to worry about its impact on British society. After all, if the very poorest don't vote, that's perfectly acceptable to our rulers, who don't have to bother even pretending to look out for their interests. But if the number of abstentions rises too high, the whole system of bourgeois democracy starts to look a little less convincing. And when too many workers start to distrust the ballot box as a solution to their problems, that clearly threatens the stability of the capitalist rule. Labour comes out for Remain it is quite evident that the ruling class elite remains determined to frustrate Brexit. And the fact that our rulers have mobilised former first stringers, but now widely discredited war criminals, such as Alistair Campbell and Tony Blair, shows the extent of their concern that they may be losing control of the narrative. It smacks, indeed, of desperation. Despite Campbell's expulsion and Corbyn's leadership, it is Campbell's line that the Labour Party is adopting the line of a so-called confirmatory vote, a second referendum in anyone else's language. This position was made clear on the night of the election count by figures including Jeremy Corbyn himself, Shadow Chancellor John Macdonnell and Shadow Foreign Secretary Emily Thornberry. Having latched gratefully onto the idea that it was Lib Dems and Remain voters who decimated their vote, rather than the party's portrayal of the Brexit referendum and its five million Brexit-supporting voters, and studiously ignoring the fact that the Brexit party topped virtually every poll, Labour is now confirming itself as an outright party of Remain, ditching the soft Brexit line it has for so long tried to hold. The closer we approach to the new 31st of October deadline for exiting the EU, the louder will be the disgruntled Remainers' voices, 
as they struggled to overturn Brexit. The cognitive dissonance displayed by those calling themselves liberals and democrats, but who will stop at nothing to defy the largest democratic mandate in recent British history, is jarring to say the least. Their assertion that the British people were too stupid to know what they were voting for must surely have lost whatever credibility it had after these results. So entrenched are the Liberal Remainers in their own view, however, so trapped in the Westminster bubble in the London echo chamber, that they still seem to have no idea of the real anger and sense of betrayal pervading the rest of the country. But this sense of political entitlement and moral superiority could prove to be their downfall. The antagonisms between the masses and traditional two-party bourgeois politics look set to further deepen as the new Brexit deadline approaches. The further entrenched the elites become, the more they expose themselves in the sham democracy they represent, and the further they push the people away. What next? In this situation, it will surprise no one if the EU election results are replicated in a general election. Something political commentators are at present trying desperately to reassure themselves could never happen. Nigel Farage has claimed he could win the next general election if Conservative leadership candidates fail to deliver Brexit by the end of October, as his party topped the European polls in the UK. The Brexit party leader said he had no trust in Boris Johnson or any of the other Tory hopefuls to deliver Brexit, as he pledged to field 650 candidates to stand for Westminster office. Farage told the BBC Radio 4 Today programme, the next date is 31st of October. That will become as big a day in people's minds as 29th of March. If we don't leave on 31st of October, then we can expect to see the Brexit Party's success last night continue into the next general election. Again, we emphasise, Brexit will not solve the problems of the working class. Only workers themselves can do that, by taking power into their own hands. But in order to set out on that road, thorough political crisis of confidence in bourgeois leaders, their political rule, and their economic system is required. British workers must break with their old tribal allegiances, to the well-marketed but closely allied brands of their oppressors, Labour, Lib Dem and Tory alike, and learn to put their own interests and those of the international proletariat first. Nigel Farage has his own reasons for wanting to take Britain out of the EU. His reasons are not ours, but he has unwittingly struck at a weak point of our ruling imperialist class, and we should help him to drive home the spear. Failure to deliver a no-deal Brexit could well result in many Brexit party MPs getting elected to Parliament, possibly even to it becoming the largest party at Westminster, in what will likely be another hung Parliament or minority government. It is not out of the question that while Farage wipes out the Tories, Labour could limp on to form a Corbett administration. In which case, the myth of left labour as a vehicle for socialism will be swiftly shattered. Either of these outcomes is to be welcomed. Only those whose parliamentary cretinism and social democratic Labour Party loyalty are unshakable pillars of faith, and whose belief in the working class is pitifully low, would lament these blows to stable capitalist rule in Britain. Whilst the bourgeoisie recoils in fear at this prospect, and tries to encourage us to do the same, we instead remember the words of Mao Zedong as he assessed the opportunities for working-class advance in pre-revolutionary China. Everything under heaven is in utter chaos. The situation is excellent. <laughs>